Well, it is a joy and delight to be with you this morning. I send uh, love and greetings from uh, your brothers and sisters across the river at Bethany Baptist Church, and uh, it is a pleasure and privilege for me to be back among you. And as I think on Thanksgiving, uh, what joy and delight to see so many of you who at various times in various ways, whether it was here in Peoria or even as far as Arizona, have had great impact and import in my life. And so uh, I am thankful to God for each and every one of you and for what God is doing here in Washington, Illinois, through the the hearts and lives of the folks that make up Bethany Community Church. So it's with great joy and delight that I am here this morning. Our message today is going to come to us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in particular verses 16 through 18. So if you have your if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and if you would stand with me as we read together these three verses out of honor for God and his word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You may be seated. Join me, would you, as we seek the Lord's help and guidance together this morning. Father in heaven, we have sung of your greatness. We have sung of the the wonder that you and your love would send your only son to die for lost and broken sinners. That you would make yourself so clearly known through the pages of your word, but then through the living word, this one who came to set us free from sin, that we might live to you. Father, this season is one where we're thankful, but Lord, we recognize that the the idols of our hearts, the desires of our hearts want to pull us away from you. Lord, this morning, fix our gaze upon you just as we sung. Lord, help us to look clearly upon you that we would be a thankful people. A people whose lives are marked by thanksgiving. Lord, help us to be light in a dark, dark world. We pray for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wondered what uh, someone outside of our culture, someone who didn't grow up perhaps in this country, thinks about thanksgiving? Uh, Someone for whom the traditions and kind of the celebration aspects are very foreign, are very different. Have you ever wondered what they think about Thanksgiving? Perhaps they start with the name and they say, okay, Thanksgiving, this makes sense. It, it should be a time where we give thanks. And that would be correct, right? If, if they were to look into our, our dining room tables on the last Thursday of November, they, they would find family and, and friends gathered around a table. And perhaps they would even see us uh, showing kindness and and giving from the abundance of our possessions to those who who are less fortunate than we are. And as we're gathered around this this table, uh, they would see us uh, talking about and sharing all that that has been happening in our lives, all the good things in life. Oh, I'm so thankful for each one that's seated around this 
table. And, and I'm, I'm thankful for what God has been, been doing over the course of this past year. And, and wow, there are even some new people uh, added to this table, and, and we're thankful for them. God, we're, we're thankful. We recognize that, that we have health and strength and, and an abundance. And so we're, we're so thankful today, God. And so certainly a, an outsider looking in, they would see that, that yes, the name Thanksgiving, it, it speaks of a, a thankful heart, a, a heart that gives thanks to God. But uh, further, they would also recognize that a key part of Thanksgiving is the, the spread on the table, right? Nothing says thank you like a great feast. And, and for every great feast, there has to be a juicy roast beast, right? And so, so there's the, the turkey on the table, and there's the, the mashed potatoes, and the stuffing, and the gravy, and there's the rolls, and the yams, and the sweet potatoes, and there's that pumpkin pie, that apple cobbler, oh, it's so good. And then nothing says Thanksgiving like going over to the couch, having endless football all day long so that we can drift in and out of consciousness, and, and you can, again, imagine a, a person stepping into that context going, wow, this is amazing. They're, they're so thankful they're passed out on the couch. And what is this all about? But, but they would see that, that on this one day out of the year, we, we come together and we're, we're thankful. We're thankful for what God has given to us and the people that we can share that day with. But uh, there's an interesting phenomena that, that happens. I don't know if you've You've noticed this. As the hours tick down on Thursday and, and this thurs, thankful Thursday comes to a close, Black Friday begins to emerge on the horizon. And so suddenly, almost in, in the flash of an eye, this spirit of thankfulness turns to a, a mad dash for the greatest doorbusters of the year. Uh, people will, will go crazy. They will get up at all hours of the night to, to rush into Walmart and Kohl's and Target and, and to get these toys and trinkets and things at ridiculous prices. In fact, so crazy is, is this Black Friday phenomena that one woman in L.A. would mow down 20 people with pepper spray just to get one crate of Xbox 360s. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, now imagine a person who watches this, a day set aside as a day of thanksgiving, and it immediately blends into a day of chaos and craziness, of waiting in endless lines just to get some of these goods at a crazy price. Now, now how, do we, how do we square that? How do we make sense of that? And my goal in talking about Black Friday is not to say that it's evil in and of itself, but it is to, to say that this is a picture, it's a, it's a portrait. It's a portrait of our culture and, and what it values, what it cherishes. You see, we can celebrate and be thankful for a day, but the marketing gurus know that that, that thankfulness is, is but a flash in the pan and that uh, starting on the very next day, in fact now even starting the day of Thanksgiving, there will be people, people who are thinking 30 days till Christmas, 30 shopping days left, I've got to get busy, I've got to get shopping. And so they recognize that though Thanksgiving is for a day, greed is for a lifetime. And so they lure us into the stores with doorbusters and rock-bottom deals. As God's children, as, as a people for God's own possession set apart from the world, what does the world think of us? What do they see in us? 
You see, the Bible describes us as aliens, as strangers, as sojourners in this world. And so there's a sense that we ought to ask, what does the world see when they look at us? Would a a person who who observed our life, would they see this this crazy swing where thankfulness and thanksgiving is, is applicable on the last Thursday in November, but march through my life the rest of the year and it's nowhere to be found? You see, no, what... What the Bible tells us is that God, the living and true God, has placed his life deep inside our soul so that through faith in Christ, there is this life within us. And it's a life that can't be contained, can't be bottled up. It must break forth. And so for us as God's people, as members of his family, thanksgiving is not something that's relegated to one day of the year. No, it's to be the the 24-7, 365 mark of our life. This morning, that's what I want us to consider. Are we merely a thankful people like the world is thankful? Where we can sit around a table in the cozy confines of our home with loved ones and family and express our gratefulness to God? Or, or are we a thankful, F-U-L-L, a thankful people? A people who, no matter the circumstance, no matter the day of the week, the hour, We are filled, filled with thanksgiving, filled with gratitude to the God of the universe. Let's consider together uh, Paul's letter to this church in Thessalonica. And and perhaps it's, it's helpful as we think about what it means to live the Christian life, what it means to be set apart for God in this world, and particularly to be a thankful people. Let's think about the conditions of this church, this young church in Thessalonica. You see this letter, it's one of Paul's earliest letters, and if you read in Acts chapter 17, you would see the backdrop to this this letter, this piece of correspondence that Paul is having with a church. And we would read and discover there that Paul, on his second missionary journey with his companions, Silas and Timothy, they come to Thessalonica, and for at least three Sabbaths, they come and they preach the scriptures. And through the preaching of the scriptures, People come to faith. People come to faith in in Christ and the church is born in Thessalonica and it it grows and it thrives. And scholars debate, we don't know exactly how long Paul and his companions were there, but it wasn't very long. Because you see, the, the transforming power of the gospel, the work that it was bringing in that community posed a threat. It posed a threat to the Jewish leaders. It posed a threat to the, the political uh, elite in Thessalonica. And they said, we've got to put an end to this. In fact, they form a mob, and they, they go to the house of this man named Jason. They beat down his door, take him, and they say, where are these guys? Where, where are those that are preaching this message? And so Jason, he has to put money on the line just to, to walk out of there alive and calm this riot. And so from that point on, Paul and his companions have to hit the road. As soon as nightfall hits, they're gone. They're on to Berea, the next town. But guess what? Uh, Like Gaston and his angry mob, uh, these folks aren't content. They aren't satisfied. And so they chase Paul to Berea. And so Paul now has to put some separation between him and these other uh, pursuers. And so they eventually go to Athens. But all this while, Paul is, is racing. He's running. He's traveling. But his heart's still back in Thessalonica. He's deeply concerned about these new believers. Will they stand firm in the faith? Will? Will they uphold under this strong persecution, this opposition. 
And so when he gets to Athens, as troubling as the spiritual climate is there, he sends Timothy back and he says, I I have to know, are they standing firm in their faith? Are they clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ? And so Timothy goes, and Paul will eventually make his way down south to Corinth. And as he arrives in Corinth, Timothy meets him there, and he, he receives word. And, and in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, we, we get the excitement, the joy that Paul had when he hears and learns that, that these believers, they're, they're standing firm. They're growing. They're thriving in their faith. And so Paul, he, he pours out his heart of, of joy and thanksgiving to God for the work that he's doing in this church and, and how God is sustaining them and growing them. And in chapter 4, Paul, though, is, isn't content with where they're at. You see, he, he desires for them to grow in likeness, to grow in holiness. And so he urges them, he urges them to excel still more. Twice he says that. And so now, as we come to the end of this letter in his final remarks his closing words he uses seven words in the original text seven little words and yet these seven little words are so difficult for us to live there's much for us to to learn and be challenged by in what paul leaves as as a parting shot a parting command for these young believers, young believers in a dark environment. And so for us here today, there are three questions, three questions that emerge out of these three verses. And I think these three questions are instructive for us. They convict and they challenge us. They have, they have been a splinter in my soul for the past several weeks as I've prepared. These questions, they, they beg us. They beg us to look deep into our own hearts and see what is the source of joy, what is the source of prayer and thanksgiving. First question I want to consider together this morning. How do my attitudes and actions reflect the life of God in me? I want to ask the, the how question. How does, does my attitudes, the, the way that I think on the inside and my actions, what manifests on the outside, how do they reflect this life of God that as a follower of Jesus Christ I claim is in me? How do my attitudes and actions reflect the life of God in me? Let's consider that question together. Now, uh, be reminded that uh, Jesus in teaching on the Sermon and his Sermon on the Mount, has told us that we as followers of Christ are to be like lights. Uh, lights is even brighter than these that, that shine from the mountaintop in a dark, dark world. We're to, to have a life that is notable, that is different from our environment. How do we do that? And, and I would suggest to you that the starting point for answering the how question involves rearranging those three simple letters. You see, there's H-O-W, how. And if we carefully rearrange those same three letters, and we put the W in front, we kick it from the back to the front, what do we get? We get who. You see, and that it's from the who that we can begin to answer the how. What do I mean by that? You know what separates a worldly thankfulness from a thankful people? It's the primary object of their thanksgiving. You see, the world on the one hand can be thankful for what it has. 
But we as God's people, God's children, are called to be thankful not for what we have, but for who we have. You see, our what may change. We may live, as Paul said, in plenty and in want. But the who, the who is the same yesterday, today, and always. And so when our gaze, when our hearts are captivated with a love for God, for who he is, then, then we can begin to have a, an attitude, a, an embrace of thanksgiving that lasts more than a few moments, more than a day, but characterizes our entire lives. The key to how begins with who. And here this morning, as we look at, at this passage together, there are three commands that Paul gives. He commands these new believers to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. And this morning, I, I want to consider primarily the last of these three. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I believe Paul mentions these three in such short, uh, brief fashion because they're meant to go together. Uh, throughout this letter and throughout the entire New Testament, if you were to look at the prayers and the, the heart cry of the saints, you'll see that, that joy prayer and thanksgiving are like three strands of a cord woven carefully together. They aren't intended to be separated. And the reason is because of their source. The reason is that they are all rooted and grounded in a love for God. So Paul here, he, he urges, he commands that this church rejoice, that they pray, and that they give thanks now, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to be thankful when I experience the good life, right? I mean, when circumstances are kind of rolling my way, when uh, things are happening the way I, I intend and, and desire for them to happen, uh, not like Thanksgiving Day where uh, our closet in our bedroom had come off the, the hinges and so here I am, you know, as people are going to be coming over later, I'm trying to fix this closet door and it is tight. I mean, it's not. And so a couple of war yelps have to come out because, you know, you pinch a finger and different things, right? And, and here I am fighting this door on Thanksgiving Day, struggling to be thankful, right? That's not easy, is it? Perhaps it's easy to be thankful when uh, we're <clears throat> enjoying a relationship with our spouse that is in health, not in sickness, uh, that is richer rather than poorer, that is for better, not necessarily for worse. But what happens when the environment gets turned? What happens when our circumstances, our situation reverses itself? It's a little tougher to be thankful then, isn't it? It's tougher to be thankful when uh, perhaps we're, we're paying a great cost for following Christ. Mind you, we suffer nothing like what this church in Thessalonica would have gone through to, to align and unite their lives to Christ. But still, we, we might be suffering greatly in that environment. Perhaps it's our work environment. Perhaps it's the, the stress and the expectations that are sky high and, and the resources that are, that are so very low to accomplish it. And, and that stress and that strain, it wants to squeeze the thankfulness right out of us. You see, here we sit on Sunday and 
the joy of worship together as, as followers of Christ. But tomorrow is coming. Tomorrow is coming where we return to our desk, where we return to our work, where we return to our lives. And it's there, it's there that the battle for thanksgiving really begins. Paul's urging us not to, to seek to escape from reality to be a thankful people. Uh, rather, he's, he's calling us as God's children to recognize who we have in Christ Jesus so that we can be a thankful people no matter where we go, no matter what happens. Let's think for a minute uh, about what it means to be thankful. What is thanksgiving all about? And I want to I present to you two, two ideas this morning. The first is that thanksgiving ascribes glory to God by treasuring his worth. We sang about that earlier. You see, thanksgiving ascribes glory to God by treasuring his worth. If we look back uh, perhaps at, at the poster child, uh, poster children, if you will, for uh, the lack of thanksgiving, it would be the people of Israel in the desert probably. Uh, if we were to poll and take the top 10 most ungrateful people, uh, they would probably win that lottery. And, and so uh, here the people of Israel, they've seen mighty deliverance from God in parting the Red Sea and freeing them from slavery and oppression. And they get into the wilderness and what is the consuming focus? It's not what God has done. It's not who God is. What don't I have? I don't have water. Man, this really stinks. Send me back to Egypt. No water. God provides that. Oh, well, we don't have food. We're out here in the wilderness. God, we, we don't like this. Send us back to Egypt. We don't have food. Oh, okay, they're complaining. They're grumbling. Okay, you've given us food. It's this manna. I mean, who can eat plain popcorn every day, every meal? I mean, seriously, we need some meat here. Grumble, complain, right? Three chapters, Exodus 15 through Exodus 17, is nothing but grumbling, complaining, grumbling, complaining. Notice where grumbling and complaining starts. It doesn't focus on what we have, on who we have. Rather, it focuses on what we don't have. It's focused in the material world. It's focused on our material wants and needs. And it raises and elevates those to the point where we ignore, we reject the one who supplies every single one. And it's there that complaining and grumbling begins. And, and it can even infect the way we look at other people, uh, people sitting next to us. You see, the people, after they grumbled about the food and the water, began to grumble about Moses and Aaron. You know what, God, the problem here isn't just our food, it's these leaders you've given us. You know, they're lousy, they're rotten. We want new leaders. And so the, the grumbling and the complaining begins. You see, this is, this is the opposite of a, of a heart, a heart filled like a, a fountain of water, filled and overflowing with gratitude and, and glory to God because it treasures his worth. Picture the, the heavenly worship scene for a moment with me. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, we get this, this awesome picture of worship. Listen to this. It says, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Did you catch that? Glory, honor, and thanks. This is the song of heaven. This is the cry of God's people for who God is. And we will enjoy him that way for all 
eternity. Revelation 4 gives us a great picture of that. But let's look at where this breaks down. Uh, why is it that we struggle to be a thankful people? Uh, Romans 1.21, I believe, gives us a clue, gives us a, a window into to where this struggle lies. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is beginning this amazing book of doctrine in the Christian faith. And he begins in verse 18 by, by pointing us to the wrath of God that's being revealed from heaven. And, and it's a wrath of God that's being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress. They suppress the truth. How do they do that? What does that look like? Well, verse 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, notice the who there, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now, verse 21, here's the key to, to why thanksgiving breaks down. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice, notice that for those who do not have the life of God in them, the breakdown in a thankful heart comes when they worship the created thing rather than the creator. When they fail to honor God, Romans 1.21 says, that term can also be translated glorify. They fail to give God the, the grandeur, the honor, the splendor that his name and his name alone is due. And guess what? When the affection of the heart is moved from God alone, the only one who is worthy of it, to the things that he's made, to, to created things, our hearts aren't thankful anymore. You see, a, a heart that fails to honor, a heart that fails to glorify God, to treasure his worth, is a heart that will struggle, that will fight and, and fail to give him thanks. Because it is from a, a gratitude, a, an overwhelming sense of, wow, look at the divine power and, and nature of God and what he has made. Look at the, the power and awesome nature of God and how he has saved me, saved you from the clutches of sin. When our gaze shifts from that to, boy, I just wish I had a nicer car. Boy, I just wish this leak in my roof would stop. Right now, we're, we're focused on what he has made. We've lost sight of our creator, of the one, the one who alone is worthy. And, and I don't want you to miss this because I, I think there's a great challenge for us even beyond what Romans 1 21 speaks of. You see, here uh, there is a, a guilt that is, that is given because of God's revelation in his creation. But if God is, is going to hold us accountable for glorifying him and giving thanks to his name on the basis of what he has made in the created world, how much more? How much more will he hold us accountable when not only do we see his power in the created world, but he's given us his written word He's given us this great revelation about himself. And furthermore, he's, he's not only given us the living word, he's given us his son. He's given us his son and his Holy Spirit that lives in us so we might know him 
and follow him. Oh, wow. We have so much that we can give glory and thanks to God for. But beware. You see, the, the love of our hearts wants to drift to what we can see, to what we can touch, to what the world claims has value. And it's then that, that we stumble. We stop having an attitude of thanksgiving. Not only is thanksgiving ascribing glory to God because of his worth, by treasuring his worth, but it's also giving glory to God by treasuring his works. And one of the, the greatest evidences of his work are you sitting here, are the, the people, the lives that are transformed by the power of his grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't it striking that throughout his letters, time and time again, Paul says, you know what, I thank God constantly for you. As I shared, it is so wonderful to see your faces, to see the stories and, and to know what God is doing here at Bethany Community Church. I'm thankful to God for you. Likewise, there are, there are other people that I, I look at and I can see the Spirit of God alive in them. And I say, wow, God, I am so thankful. Thankful for that man, thankful for that woman. Their joy, their enthusiasm, their love for you is so evident. And it reminds me that you are the true and living God, the one who is able to take lost and broken sinners, to transform them, to renew them. Paul certainly understood that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9. Listen to what he says. He's just heard, by the way, of, of how these believers are standing firm. They're they're young in their faith, but they are mature. They're standing firm. And Paul says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. See, Paul found great joy and delight in seeing God at work in the hearts and lives of other people. So let me ask you, who are you thankful for? Are you thankful for who God is? that he is all-wise, all-powerful, all-knowing, and that his sovereign goodness controls and, and orchestrates everything in our lives. Are you thankful? Are you thankful for the people seated in this room? Perhaps for other people not seated in this room, but who have had deep impact on your life. God sent me a great reminder of, of that joy this week. There was a young man who, uh, a number of years ago, when my wife and I did college ministry, who, after years of not hearing from him, called me up. He said, hey, Matt, I'm on my way from Cincinnati to Iowa. Peoria's right in the middle. Could I stop by and just see how you guys are doing? Oh, absolutely. What joy. What joy to see this man after years of parting ways and going different directions, seeing his heart for God and his desire to honor God in his workplace. What joy and thanksgiving to God for his work in a man like that. How do your attitudes and actions reflect the life of God in you? That's the question. Do you glorify him by treasuring his worth? Do you glorify him by treasuring his work? That's a, that's a challenge for us. 
But we have to move on to the second question because if you think that's hard, um, we've got a little ways to go yet. You see, if, if it was as simple as simply uh, saying, you know what, I need to be uh, rejoicing, I need to pray, and I need to give thanks, I think we could do okay, right? We could look back and say, you know, I was thankful this morning when I got out of bed, and, uh, you know, I was pretty joyful as um, I was singing in the shower, and, you know, there were some good things going on today. I've prayed a couple of times, right? But notice, notice the second question. The second question is, when do my attitudes and actions reflect the life of God in me? When does that happen? When does the the cry of my heart, the response of my heart to God shine out? Do you see the three adverbs here? Whenever I want to justify myself, whenever I want to feel like, boy, life is really going good, these are tough. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in everything, in all circumstances. Oh, that is tough. That is tough. Perhaps that's why G.K. Chesterton would say that the problem with Christianity is not that it's been tried and found wanting. No, the problem with Christianity is that it's been found difficult and left untried. See the difference? God's standard for us, what God here is is commanding us to be and to do, is to be a people that aren't just marked by thanksgiving, prayer, and joy when times are good, when things are going our way. No, he says, give thanks in all circumstances. So think with me for a moment. Does does all circumstances include unbelievable work expectations? Does does all circumstances include difficult team members, difficult co-workers that make life miserable for me? Does all circumstances include and embrace when my spouse is upset and, and making life miserable for me? Does, does all circumstances include the the stress and just the weariness of raising these beautiful little children? Does all circumstances include when these beautiful little children defy and obey me publicly? Does all circumstances include those family gatherings where there's tension and just turmoil because of what we believe and how we live our lives? Does all circumstances cover the grades I get back on my report card Uh, the peer group that God puts me in? Does all circumstances cover physical illness and and sluggishness and sickness? Even death. God's answer is is yes. Yes. Uh, I did an exhaustive exhaustive search of all circumstances in the Greek text, text, and guess what it means? All circumstances, Right? It doesn't take scholarly acumen here to get to the heart of all circumstances. The trouble is, that's not where we live, is it? The trouble is, when we see, give thanks in all circumstances, we become acutely aware, very keenly aware that that is not where we live. Moment by moment, day by day, 
week by week, month by month, year after year. Rather, our, our joy, our thanksgiving, our prayer life does this. My engineering background reminds me that's like a sine curve, I think, right? That's not God's desire. That's not God's design. His design is that we would have an ever-growing, ever-increasing love and passion for God that would spill over in joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. All throughout the scriptures, we see men and women of faith, uh, men and women of faith who look at hardship and adversity and they confront it with great joy. I think of David and Psalm 86. David in Psalm 86 would say, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For, your, for great is your steadfast love toward me. You've delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. But notice his environment here in the very next verse. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life and they do not set you before them. David knew what it was like to be in a tough situation, a tough spot. And yet, even with these insolent men chasing him, hunting him down to kill him, he says, I give thanks to you, O God. I give thanks to you. You see, God's design and desire for us is not that we would be thankful when circumstances and conditions go our way. Yes, we are to be thankful then, but, but his design is so much more than that. His design is that in every situation, all circumstances, we would have a, an unfading joy and delight in him that would well up to thanksgiving to his name. Here's the question. When do your attitudes and actions reflect the life of God in you? Is it only when things go your way, when you get what you want? Is it only when, like our please and thank you mindset, uh, you know what I'm talking about, where we, we train our kids, right? The magic words, all right, you want something, say please. When you're done, say thank you. And I think we can view God that way. We can say, you know what, thankfulness is only when God meets my needs. That's not the, the biblical portrait of thanksgiving. The biblical portrait says God alone is sufficient for you to be thankful all the time in every situation, in every circumstance. Are you? Are you thankful? Do your attitudes and actions reflect the life of God in you? Third question. And this is kind of the, the so what question. Why? Why should my attitudes and actions reflect the life of God in me? Why is that so important, Matt? I mean, come on. Really. Notice where verse 18 ends. After hitting us with seven powerful words, words that are, are so deep, so difficult, were pointed to the great God who calls us to this. We're called to the one who always supplies what he requires. Look at the end of verse 18 with me. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Let's think together for just a moment about what it means to be in Christ Jesus. Have you thought about that? I mean, think of the richness of that relationship. What does God offer us? What, what does he bestow and shower upon us in Christ Jesus? The scriptures say in, in Romans chapter 6 that, that in Christ Jesus we are dead to sin and alive to God. We have life. A life that is Godward in its orientation. It also tells us that, that the wages of sin, what it earns, what it merits is death. But the gift of God for us in Christ Jesus is eternal life. It's an eternal quality of life. That's ours in Christ Jesus. He goes on in, in Romans chapter 8 to say there's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. And at the end of the chapter, there's, there's nothing, nothing, powers, principalities, nothing that can separate us from God's love when we're in Christ Jesus. In writing to the church at Corinth, he says, Christ is for us our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That's a mouthful. Oh, how wondrous is this relationship that we have in Christ. In Galatians, uh, Paul will say that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham comes to the Gentiles. That we are called sons of God. That we're given this unifying identity in Christ. An identity that transcends religious background, that transcends gender, that transcends our racial lines. That's all ours in Christ. In Ephesians, Ephesians 2.7, he, he talks about the, the future display of the immeasurable riches of God's grace that will be shown in Christ Jesus for all the world to see. And in Ephesians 2.10, he speaks of this created purpose that before the foundation of the world was ever laid in Christ, in Christ, God determined works, great works for us to do, to do in Christ Jesus. There's so much more. We could go on and on. But do you see the, the greatness of this relationship that God has, has offered us in Christ Jesus? You may be sitting here this morning and you have never entered into that relationship. You may be sitting here this morning and your sin is separating you from enjoying the fullness, the design that God had for you when he made you. A design that includes relationship, peace. And that only, only the sacrifice of his son could make payment for. This morning, if you have never entrusted your life to Jesus Christ, if you have never understood or experienced what it means to be in Christ Jesus, don't delay. Don't wait. Make today the day that you humble your heart, that you repent, you turn from your sin and turn to God the living and true God, to worship him and him alone. So that by faith, as you entrust your life to Jesus Christ, he would provide a covering for your sin and you could enter into and enjoy this glorious relationship that God has set for us. You see, that, that has to be our starting point when we think about Thanksgiving. I can't help but get excited, get fired up thinking about the glory of God and what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. Notice, notice that this is God's will. This is God's plan. This is God's design. 
And all throughout this letter, Paul's heart has been that God's will, which in chapter 4 he regards as their sanctification, that means their, their growing in holiness and conformity to the image of Christ, would continue on and on. And so here we find, as he, as he wraps up this letter, that, that it is God's will God's will expressed in this glorious relationship we have with him through faith in Jesus Christ that causes us, that allows us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in everything, in all circumstances. That's the answer to the why. The answer to the why points us right back to the who. It points us to the God who demonstrated his love for us in this. That while you and I were yet sinners, we were rebels, we were fighting against him, he sent his son to die for us. You see, we love him because he first loved us. So why should my actions reflect the life of God? Because of who he is because of the glorious riches that he has showered upon us through his grace and through faith in Christ Jesus, that alone is sufficient reason to be thankful. So why do your attitudes and actions reflect the life of God in you? This morning, I want to, to close our time together by challenging you to, to take each day and to reflect, to reflect on who, to look and treasure God for all his worth, to treasure God in all his works, that you might give glory and thanks to him, not just in the quietness of your prayer closet tomorrow morning, but all throughout the warp and woof of your day, your week, and your life. So that as a, a watching world looks, they see not a people who are thankful when life seems to, to kind of be all together, but rather that they would see a people who are thankful. They're filled with thanksgiving. Look at Susie. I can't believe how joyful she is in the midst of this horrible trial. Look at Bill over there. Wow, that guy is always thankful even when everything seems to be going wrong. What is it? Oh, that God, through the riches of his grace, would make us a thankful people like that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are so great, so glorious. Indeed, we can't even begin to comprehend the treasures which you have showered upon us in the love of your son, Christ Jesus. And I pray this morning that you would open the eyes of our hearts to even begin to understand what is the width, the depth, the height of the love of Christ Jesus, a love which surpasses all that we could ever understand. And that, Father, our lives would be transformed. Our lives would be filled, overflowing with gratefulness that we would be a thankful people, giving glory, honor, and thanks to your name and to your name alone, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.